0: Um, good morning, Creekside. I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, I am just, you know, if you're new visiting with us this week, welcome. We're glad to have you here. And um, I am coming off of a week of vacation. So I uh, spent the last week at Bodega Bay, highs of 68 degrees, lots of uh, sitting on the beach, reading, that kind of a thing. And then yesterday, I got to do a uh, with my gospel community that I'm a part of, got to do a float down the Truckee River. So if you've ever done this, it's the it's the most incredible thing. You just go up to the top, and uh, you sit in a raft with a group of people, and you just float. And Like that's it. Like two to three hours, you just float, and the river just gently leads you along the most gentle, soothing rapids you can imagine, and you just go. And it's amazing because it's like it's the ultimate lazy thing. There's like no nobody needs anything from you. Um, even if they did need something from you, they can't get you. You know, you're just there and you're stuck and you're just floating, and it's the best thing ever. Um, we need these kinds of like rests and vacations, and I hope that you guys have been getting some as well as you're going through your day and doing all the all doing going through your summer and all that kind of stuff. Um, but here, here's the here's the thing it's funny doing that yesterday, floating down the river, especially and after a week of vacation. And then the subject matter for this morning, we're actually going to close off the book of uh Second uh, Thessalonians this morning. So we're done with our first and second Thessalonians series in about um 35 minutes generous estimate of when we'll be done with that. And uh, when we're done, uh, the the whole thing, he like ends it, he closes it with um, a nudge from the opposite, okay? So there's the lazy river thing. We talk about rest. We talk about Sabbath. We talk about the need to just soak in the love of God. But he's going to give us a nudge this morning towards work and how uh, basically life shouldn't always be just floating along with no responsibilities. There's a good and a healthy side to the work that he calls us into. We spend a majority of our lives, like so many, so much of our waking time working, right? Whether that's an official job you're clocking in for, or whether it's working with your kids, or your family, or whatever it is, right? Like, that, those, all, all those things matter, and they take up a lot of our time, and I'm thankful that Paul closes us off by addressing that topic head-on. So, here we go. We're going to dive right into Second um, Thessalonians 3, verse 6, and Paul says this, now we command you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother or sister who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the traditions that you received from us. All right, so Paul starts with a warning. Okay, and he's he's looking at us. He's like written all these pretty crazy things, and we just walked through like um, the world's going to end, and here's how God's going to judge the world, and we talked through this mystery of evil that's at work in the world, and is going to get more intense in the end. All these big things he's told us, and now he's going to give us a warning at the end of this letter. Looking at this little community, here's the warning. Stay away from a certain type of person, right? And so you think, okay, um, all right, Paul, thank you for this warning. You've said a lot of intense things. Thank you for warning us about this really dangerous type of person, right? That's out there in the world that's doing this kind of thing. And we, we ask, like, who? Like, who's so dangerous? What kind of person would he take the time to warn us so severely about? And what is it? It's a person who is idle. <laughs> A person who is lazy, a person who's a freeloader um, in the church community, that's the person. If you see that person, you stay away from that person. He's giving us this powerful warning. And, and so it highlights to us, okay, there's something going on here um, at the time. There's something that Paul wants to say about the value of work um, and our investment in the community, our, our, our the way that we dive into the things that God's put in front of us, such that, like this type of person who's who's kind of defiant, disorderly, in a in a way that he's not choosing to work, look out for that kind of a person. So why? Like, why is this person so bad? Why is Paul so fussy about him? Um, He gives us a couple things. First of all, he says in verse 6 there, um, that that person is not, like, they're walking in idleness, and they're not walking in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. So Paul's saying, like, we've handed down these traditions to you. And he mentioned that at the end of chapter 2 as well, like the the application of all the um, end times man of lawlessness, mystery of evil kind of a thing, the application was hold firm to the traditions. And now Paul's like, this person is not walking according to the traditions. Now, what are the traditions? I think it's things like prayer. You know, Jesus taught us to pray, and the disciples like followed on, and, and um, Nathan walked us through last week this prayer that Paul prays um, for this Thessalonian believer. So prayer is a tradition that's handed down. We're to be prayerful people coming to the Lord, like seeing ourselves in light of that, shaping our life together by how we come together and pray. So that's a key part of what it means to like carry on the traditions. Things like hearing the voice of God through the word of God as he speaks to us. That's what we do when we come back and we open the Bible together and we talk about the word of God. We we read it on our own. And so these kinds of traditions, caring for each other, loving each other well, serving our communities, traditions handed down generation to generation. And now here Paul is adding... Um, another element to it that we often overlook, which is work. This is one of the traditions that we handed down to you, is that you be a hard-working people. The kind of people that invest yourself in um, the work that God sets in front of you. These are important and vital traditions. Now, why does this one matter so much? And I, I honestly started my prep for this passage um, a little bit, like, perplexed, because it doesn't seem to fit everything he's saying. I'm like, yeah, why? Like, what is the big deal? If, some, if someone's kind of like you know, just loafing around and, and kind of freeloading a little bit. Like, yeah, it's not ideal, right? But like, what, like, why is Paul so worked up about this person? And as I thought about it more and more, I think what I'm seeing here, and, Paul, and we'll, we'll look at it. You'll see it in the passage, I think. As you unpack what he's doing, you have to look at this person, not in terms of, yeah, you know, sometimes I can take it a little bit easy. No big deal. Look at it in terms of that person's connection to the overall community. What happens when someone is... Being idle, being a freeloader, being kind of lazy in what they're doing. What, what is that person's connection to the community? They're sitting here and they're looking at everybody else, like all the rest of us, right? Looking at all the rest of us, sitting back and saying, okay, yeah, um, you guys go ahead and jump in there and work. You guys do the hard stuff. I, I'm going to just kind of hang out here and you guys can do the things that I will benefit from. It's a really like depraved view of the community. It's, it's actually a person that kind of despises the community that they're in to step back and say, you guys, like this work is kind of beneath me, but like you guys jump in there and do it and I'll receive all the benefits of what you guys are doing. I think this is why. I think Paul's view of like community and, and the way he's been talking about the church as a family throughout 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, he's describing it in these robust terms. And then here's the person that's, yeah, I want to be part of it because I see all these people and what they can do for me. And I think Paul's saying, watch out for that person. Because that person sitting there, looking at all of you in terms of what you can give to them, that person, their heart is not invested. That person does not look in love at the people around them and ask, how can I serve and bless and invest myself? That person is trying to accomplish something for themselves. And they're manipulating you. They're trying to use you to bring something to yourself. I think that's what Paul is going to lay out as he goes through this passage. And I think that's why he is so worked up about this kind of person that freeloads on the church as a whole. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, when we look around, and I've been thinking that this week, I was thinking it while I was floating down a lazy river with a bunch of uh, a bunch of people from our gospel community group, is when I look at you guys all, and when we look at each other, right, how do we view each other? Do we see each other as people that have something that we could potentially benefit from? Or are we sitting here thinking, how can I love and serve these people? Do we see ourselves as part of this community, or do we see ourselves as sitting back and benefiting from what this community has to offer us. It's an important question. So Paul's going to explain a little bit more. Look look, look in verse 7. He says this, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate Paul is showing them, look, when, when, like, I'm talking to you about this, like, work ethic. And I want you to remember, when I was with you, we worked hard. We invested in this whole thing. And so he's, he's pointing to me, he's like, look, I, as, a, as, a, um, as a Christian leader, I could have, like, received. Like, I, it's okay to, for me to have, like, taken a salary from you. And I'm, like, thankful that he threw that in there because I think it's very okay for pastors to take salaries for what they're doing, okay? Um, but at the same time, he's like, in this instance, when I was there, like, even though we could have done that, we, we decided it was better for us to give you this example of hard work and to invest and not just take bread from you. Like, we dove in and we wanted you to see what it looks like to work hard in the work that the Lord has given us. And so Paul is um, saying these things. He's giving them this picture of, like, we were there, we invested. I'm calling you to look out for the people that are not invested, that are not working hard. And um, the hard question I had this week was... Um, what do you do for the people that, like, need stuff, right? I mean, Paul, like, he, he, we're going to see it in just a second. He talks about if you, don't, if you don't work, you don't eat, right, which that's a hard statement to make. We're going to look at that in just a second. But he's kind of, he's a little bit heartless in this. And so um, one, one thing I found as I was researching this is there's a, um, there's a Christian document called the Didache, okay, and there's, like, three of you that are. Yes, did in the sermon, but in early Christian documents, not New, it's not New Testament, it's not scripture, but it was written in like the second or third century, and they, they kind of expound on this idea. So I'm going to share with you um, wh- how they kind of unpacked this concept. And so it says this: if if um, if he who comes as a traveler, so it's talking about someone joining in the community from the outside, if you comes as a traveler, help him as much as you can, but he shall not stay with you more than two or three day, or more than two days, or if necessary three. If he wishes to settle down with you and has a craft. Let him work for his bread. But if he has no craft, make such provision for him as your intelligence approves, so that no one shall live with you in idleness as a Christian. If he refuses to do so, he is making merchandise of Christ. Beware of such people. So I I love this. I love there's generosity here, right? Someone comes in, like, yeah, help him out. Pay, like... Give them stuff, but, but like for a few days, and then let them start contributing to it. And he says, basically, if you give them work to do and they refuse, what what's the problem with that? He says, he's making merchandise of Christ. I think that's a fascinating way to look at it. It's someone that's coming in and saying, oh, good, Christian community, right? These people are generous. These people care for each other. I'm going to step in there, and I'm going to turn this into a commodity, right? I'm going to make it into something that I can benefit from. And I, like, I'm like i processing this. The last couple of years, there's been a, this— um, slew of news stories and podcasts and, and, and documentaries and stuff on Christian leaders that stand in front of their churches, and their churches, like, the way that God designed it is a shepherd shepherds the sheep, right, cares for the sheep, but what's happened in a lot of these situations is the shepherd is there to benefit from the sheep, right, and so I, I've been listening to this podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, and it's, it's about Mark Driscoll and some of these things, and there's some beautiful things that happen in that church, and there's some ways in which the church becomes a platform for a person's ego, and it's all about um, make me more powerful, make me more impressive, make me more influential. Um, there's, there's a documentary out on Hillsong, and, and again, a lot of beautiful things, and also a lot of things where it's like, man, it's about building up this person's ego. Um, there's news stories about all these, the greed and whatever um, from pastoral figures, and, and the whole point of it is, I think it's that, it's, it's commodifying Christ, and it's commodifying the church, and it's making it into something that's about my benefit. Now, that's true for pastors, and that's a unique danger for pastors to say, you're here for my platform, my benefit, my influence, right? But I think Paul's warning us, this this could be any of us. We could turn this church community into something that's here for my sake and my benefit, and that is the opposite of what Paul's trying to build. He's trying to build in, in Thessalonica a community of love, a community that looks at each other and just says, I love you guys. How can I serve you? How can I bless you? How can I be part of this family and not just sit back and receive and everything else? And so what does he call us to do? Verse 10, we'll we'll jump into that. Verse 10, he says, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. And so here is Paul <laughs> giving these strong words, if you're not going to work, don't eat. And he's, he's giving us like a, a sense, a, a like statement of the importance, the value of work. This matters. And if someone's not willing to engage in work, like they're missing out something that's really important. I think he's showing like freeloading kind of undermines the community. There was a, there was a sense of generosity from the very beginning. Acts 2, when we read it, when the church was first born, people are selling their possessions or giving to anyone who has needs so there's this sense of caring but I think by this time you start to see people are kind of taking advantage of that and sitting back and I love how he says it they're not busy at work they're busy bodies right the time that they could be spending investing and creating and helping other people they're spending instead like hey what's the gossip like what can I find out about you or about them and, and they're kind of gossiping and they're kind of just going around getting in everyone's business and he's saying, no get into work and in it's not about people that, like, can't find work. He's saying these people are not willing to work, right? They've been offered the opportunity, and they're refusing it. Why? Again, I come back to why. Why does this matter so much? Why is he keeping this? I don't think it's just about laziness. I don't think he's just mad about, like, man, that person could be working harder than they are. I think there's something deeper and bigger at stake. And so if you will um, indulge me, I'm going to take a, a small little tangent from this, but I think it's related, and I'm going to give you a Tolkien quote and a, and a Tim Keller quote to, like, make it up to you, okay? So we're going to be okay. It's going to be a worthwhile little tangent that ties in, I think, brings us back to this text with a deeper understanding. So uh, Tim Keller has this um, this excellent book called Every Good Endeavor, and if you haven't read it, I think you should. I read it uh, a number of years ago, and I was like, man, um, uh, For anyone who's ever worked a job in their life, this is a really important book. And for anyone who ever knows somebody or ministers or pastors or someone that has a job, this is a vital book. So I'm just going to throw it out there. Every Good Endeavor, it's a great book. You should read it. But I'm going to give you the best parts right now, and then you can decide for yourself, okay? He talks about um, the idea of vocation, okay? And so we have a vocation, you have a job, you have a career, you have a vocation. He says, vocation is, um, comes from the Latin word vocare, which means calling. And the idea of a vocation is it's a calling that you enter into for an extended period of time that you're, you're called into doing this work. So he says, you can have a job, and you can work at your job. Your job is to, you know, make money or whatever. Um, you can have a career, and that's your path, whatever. But a vocation is um, not something that you do for yourself so that you can make money. A vocation is something that you're called into. So if it's someone else that's calling you into it, and you're doing it for the sake of someone else, that's a calling, that's a vocation. And he says that's, that's what God is doing in our work, is he's calling us into a thing. Now, that could be ministry, definitely, but it also could mean Working at Starbucks, it could mean working construction. It could mean w- teaching. It could mean whatever. A vocation is God has called me and asked me, at least in this season, to do this thing, and I'm doing it for His benefit. That becomes a vocation and a calling, and it's a significant thing. It, it upgrades the value of the work we do when we stop seeing it just about making money, so that I can have the money I need to do the things that I want to do. And we see it as okay. God has asked me to do this thing, and so there's this big picture that Tim Keller is inviting us to see. Um, He he references the the reformers a lot. The the, the reformers recovered a lot of good doctrine. Martin Luther, John Calvin, like, recovered a lot of this good doctrine. Don't listen to what the priests tell you about the word of God. Dig into the word of God for yourselves. You need to know this. Um, Connect with God for yourself, not always mediated through a priest or a saint or something like that. They also had this strong sense of the value of individual work. What the priests and the pastors do, that matters. But also what you as an individual baker or blacksmith do, that matters because it's, it's honest work before the Lord. One, one of the ways that um, uh, Tim Keller talks about this, it's, it's, it's not career for the sake of money. Your job, your vocation becomes a way of loving your neighbor as yourself. And, and, um, and I want to unpack that in, um, by telling a little story that Tim Keller uses and it's from Tolkien, so here's your Tolkien quote, okay? So Tolkien um, wrote this story. He wrote The Lord of the Rings. That's, like, what he's famous for and, uh, and The Hobbit. But he also wrote this little story that's called Leaf by Niggle. And if you haven't read that, it's also fascinating. But this little story, it's a short story, and it's about this guy named Niggle. That's his name. And to Niggle is, like, to, like, um, fuss over the details of a thing too much, you know? And so, um, so Niggle is an artist, and he has, like, his whole life, he's had in his picture, in his memory, this picture of a, like, like a landscape. There's mountains off in the distance, and there's this tree in the foreground, and there's these fields, and he's had it always in his head, and he can't stop, like, dreaming about it, thinking about it, and he's an artist, and he decides, I am going to make it my life's work to put this scenery that's in my head down onto this canvas, and so he does. He spends his whole life just working, 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 and all he ever accomplishes in his life is he paints this one leaf and has to redo it and redo it, but he accomplishes one leaf out of that one tree in that whole landscape. That's all he ever accomplishes in his life. And there's, there's layers to it. Like part of why he's delayed in that is his neighbor needs a lot of help. And so he's loving his neighbor by helping his neighbor. He wasn't able to get it done. There's some beautiful pictures there. But the big thing is um, he gets to sleep. And what happens then? Nigel dies and he goes into the afterlife, into the new creation. And he's shown his, uh, gets off the train and is shown his like new dwelling place in the new heavens. And what does he see? He looks out the back of his new home and he sees there's the scene, there's the mountains, there's the tree, there's the leaves on the tree, and he's like, it was real. There really is a tree, and he sees it at the end. And so what, um, what Tim Keller then says about this, I will show you. Here's your Tim Keller quote. He says, whatever your work, you need to know this, there really is a tree. Whatever you are seeking in your work, the city of justice and peace, the world of brilliance and beauty, the story, the order, the healing, it is there. There is a God. There is a future healed world that he will bring about, and your work is showing it in part to others. Your work will be only partially successful on your best days in bringing that world about. But inevitably, the whole tree that you seek, the beauty, harmony, justice, comfort, joy, and community will come to fruition. If you know all this, you won't be despondent because you can only get a leaf or two out in this life. You will work with satisfaction and joy. You will not be puffed up by success were devastated by setbacks. See, I love this picture because here's a man that had this sense of something real that was in his mind that he couldn't get past, and he spent his life trying to create, you know, however imperfectly, however partially, this little, this big thing um, here in this life. And, and Tim Keller, and, and he's, he's kind of saying Tolkien meant this, is it's a picture of our work. It's like we as Christians, we have this vision of a world that's healed and restored, right? We have this vision of a world where, like, sin is no more. And and all of our guilt and sin, like, we stop that and we're healed of it and we're forgiven. And we spend time in the presence of God and society works where we, like, love each other in grace rather than fighting. And so there's this beautiful picture of how things will be, right? And he says we go through our lives doing that. And then as we go about our work, we're putting little pieces of that into place now. And so it doesn't matter what your job is, right? But if in your job you're creating, like, a little community of love. Or if you're finding a way to like bless some people and provide for their needs, he's saying that's taking a bit from that picture in the future and you're making it real in this world. And it will only be partial and it will be pretty tiny and it'll be imperfect, but he's saying there really is that tree. There's the bigger thing. And so all of our work now in this life, Tim Keller will say every good endeavor that we do is a piece of that bigger thing. So all what he's saying, the work that we do uh, it's, it's not like we're saving the world through our work, right? Um, like, it, it doesn't matter what we do. It, it's not going to save the world, but it's going to be a piece of the bigger thing that God is doing in this world. So, Some of you have jobs where you are directly doing like good and beautiful things for people in the world. So I have a friend that made um, an app called Echo Prayer, and the whole thing is like this app, you download it, and it helps you to pray, reminds you to pray, helps you share prayer requests with other people. It's a beautiful thing. That's a thing. He can feel good about clocking in for work because he's making something that then like helps human flourishing and gets people in touch with God's design for them, right? Some of you are involved in education, and so you're teaching, whether it's your own kids or somebody else's, you're educating, teaching, and helping people to flourish in the midst of the world. Some of you are doctors and nurses, and you're helping to heal people and, and bring that, um, that beautiful picture uh, into play. Some of you have had experience farming and stuff, and you're creating good things that provide for people in the world. So some of you can sit back and be like, man, when I clock in for work, what I am doing like, makes a difference in the world around me. And that's great. I think that's a calling, right? That's an invitation that God has given you to do something that's part of him providing for the world around him and creating a culture that helps shape and and make these kind of kingdom values real in the world. But then there's others of you that are in here and you're like, I cannot think of a possible way that the work that I do matters for the kingdom at all, okay? So, um, you know, I know a bunch of you like sit down behind a computer and you write code all day long, you know? Um, I, I know a guy that that worked on like the the company that makes post its and stuff like that. It's like, what's the kingdom value of my post its or um, or of the computer code that I am making? I have a friend that like does weather forecasting type stuff, right? And so, like, what like what good is that doing? What's that creating? Well, a couple things I would say, based on Tim Keller um, helping me process this, is um, one, it, it's a means of God providing for the world. So if you think of you think of like everything that happens in your life, ultimately comes from God, right? He says like. Don't, like, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, like how you're going to dress. Like God cares for the sparrows, right? He clothes the flower of the field. So God is going to provide all of your needs. So everything we need, every bit of money, every bit of food, every bit of safety and shelter, God provides for us. The question is how? How does God provide that for us? And often, most of the time, it looks like there's an employer, right, that creates a company and gives you a, a role within that company, and, and it trickles on down until like Our physical needs are often met through the work we do. So it doesn't matter if you um, believe in the computer coding that you're doing or not. Um, That's a means of God providing for yourself and for the people in the world. That's a beautiful thing, right? But also, also in the midst of that, there's this way that we can order the world and we can create a picture of that, that big kingdom that we can see and experience. We can create that in our workplaces. So it doesn't matter if you're preaching sermons for your job or you're healing people for your job or you're writing computer code for your job. Making lattes. I worked for Starbucks for a while, making lattes for a job. In the midst of that, you can create a little culture where you're treating human beings like human beings, right? The interaction can either be give me your money and I'll give you what you ordered, or it can be rich and vibrant and humanizing, right? We can create, we can make life easier for the people that work under us, and we can make life easier for the people that work over us. In the midst of all these things, as we spend so much of our time trying to be a community that's shaped by the love of God in our work, we can actually set this culture and make it real for the people that we get the privilege of interacting with day in and day out. And so all of this, I think, is this big picture like theology of work that I think, as I take us gently back now to the text of scripture with this kind of theology of work in place, all of this, I think, Paul's saying, work hard. This is important. I don't think he's sitting there just saying, work hard because that's what you're supposed to do. I don't think he's like a boomer looking at the millennial generation and being like, you guys should work harder because we had to work harder, you know. I don't think it's like that. I think he's coming in and he has this big picture sense of the value of work. He has this big picture sense of the beauty of community and the value of community. And he says, You guys need to treat each other in love. You need to work hard because your work matters. It's not about just not being lazy. It's about invest in the big picture, thriving sense of what God um, is doing in this world. He's inviting you into it. And if you're freeloading and you're sitting back, you're missing this big piece of what God is wanting to do to heal and restore and make this world a place where human flourishing happens. And so Paul says in verses 12 and 13, just to read these two again, he says, Such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing good. There's this great reminder too, he says, work quietly, okay? Now imagine like working noisily often looks like you're calling attention to what you're doing. You know, here I am pastoring, and man, I'm, I'm doing like, I'm, I'm like gathering more people, and I'm preaching really impressive sermons. Obviously, this is just, you know, uh, facetious and hypothetical or whatever. And I'm calling attention to what I'm doing, right? And, and each of our jobs has like a factor of that, right? A, a way to kind of draw attention to what you're doing, but he's saying, no, no, just work quietly. Just, get, like, get in there and do things that matter, but do it quietly. It's not about you. Like, stop making everything about you. Serve people. Love people. Just do it quietly. Do it in grace. And, and it, it matters even if no one ever sees it, right? It matters if you never get credit for it. It's just it, the work itself matters. We're not here to build platforms for ourselves. He calls us instead to work quietly, to, to like, generate for the sake of others. He, he actually, in 1 Thessalonians 4, gave the exact same command, work quietly, work with your hands, live, live peaceful and quiet lives, um, don't be dependent on other people. He's calling us to just generate and, and create this beautiful thing in the midst of the world that overflows for the benefit of the people around us. And then he says, I, I love that he says in verse 13, don't grow weary in doing good. It's just this reminder that is so necessary in this fallen world, don't grow weary in doing good. So we live between uh, Genesis 2.15 that tells us Uh, God created Adam and Eve, put them in the garden to work it and keep it. Like, work was part of God's creational design. What God wanted to do, wanted humanity to do in this world is to work and to keep and tend the world that God had made. So that's important. We live between that and Genesis 3, where there's the fall. And now we see... You know, he says the the ground's going to produce thorns and thistles. You're going to work it with pain. By the sweat of your brow, you're going to, like, reap the fruit of the land. So it's hard. So between the good desire for work, the good uh, vocation that God's given us to work, and the brokenness and the pain and the sweat that that's going to require in this world, there's this weariness in between that whole thing. We know it's good. We know we're called to it. But, man, our jobs sometimes really stink, don't they? And our bosses can be total jerks. And, um, and we are never appreciated like we should be. And we're, like, last couple years, man, like, weariness has been, like, the word. It's going to be the word of this decade for sure, where we're, like, early on, like, yeah, I can figure out how to work remotely. And then, you know, we're like, okay, yeah, I guess I can kind of figure out how to do. And now it's, like, new markets. And it's just, like, we're just white-knuckled and trying to make it work. And so many of us have been shifting jobs and careers and stuff as we're reevaluating. And I think in the midst of all that weariness, just hearing Paul saying, hey, don't grow weary in doing good. There's so many good things that you can invest in, that you can work towards in your work, and don't get, get um, caught up in um, uh, giving up on all that stuff. It matters. It really matters. So here's what he says. His last kind of harsh words um, to these folks, verses 14 and 15, he says, "...if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother." And so here's, here's like this, this uh, the, the picture that came to my mind is, you know, when we've um, mostly at the beginning of the pandemic, but even still now, right, you, you find out that someone has COVID and you're like, oh, my gosh, like I was talking to them for like three minutes the other day. Or like, like you know, we like, oh, I saw them like outside and we were like, oh, no, you know. And, and so the idea of quarantining is you're like separating yourself because you don't want to get what they have, right? And I think that's still kind of a thing. You don't want to get what they have, so you kind of keep. And I think Paul's like, like looking here and he's like, Look, there's some of these people that are, like, not, not following the pattern that we set. They're not, they're not, like, engaging themselves, so be careful. Like, don't let that—this spreads. You don't want this culture there. You want a culture instead of love and service and grace. And so dive in with each other and avoid those people that are, like, trying to be like, yeah, no, it's just kind of like when it's good for me and, and what makes me look better and feel better, that's what I want. He's like, stay away from them. What they have is contagious. You don't want that in your community. Live this good community life together. Invest in each other. And, and I love, though, that he tempers it with, don't regard him as an enemy. Love him as a brother. Like, that is such a good reminder. Remember, in Jesus, we don't have any enemies. We're not allowed to, right? He says, like, pray for those who persecute you, right? Um, you know, bless those who harm you, right? Like, that's, like, what we're called to do. So we're not allowed to have enemies. Everyone's just a, a friend, a brother, a neighbor, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what we're called to. And so even in these situations where he's like, watch out for that person, Love them like a brother, right? Call them back. We we don't we don't let sin uh, fester. We don't we don't let sin go like condoned or whatever. We address it, we deal with it, but in such a way that we're acknowledging there's a discipleship process, there's a growth process, there's a speak the truth and allow that person to to grow. But what we're trying to grow into is this community, this culture where we love each other, we all work hard, we value what each other does, we, we invest. And and I kind of want to like step back, at, like, before I get into Paul's concluding remarks, and just say real quick, um, like, there's harsh words in here. If you don't work, you don't eat. And there's there's uh, some of you, many of you in this church family that are like, man, I haven't been able to work, like pr- like, very well in a while, right? There's many of you that have received from the church. So, like, you know, Benevolence Fund, like, we have a Family Assistance Fund where it's like, um, we want to help our families that are in need, and you've been the ones that have been like receiving that, right? Or, or meal trains, you get sick, or, or something happens, and it's like, hey, let's make meals and bring them to you. Many of you guys have received that, and I feel like sometimes you can hear these words, if you don't work, then you won't eat, and you can be like, ah, you feel guilty, it feels wrong to receive from people. And I just want to say really clearly, I don't think Paul's addressing that. I don't think Paul is trying to say, hey, if you ever needed to receive something from the community that that's bad, I don't think he's saying that at all. He's talking about people that are sitting back and intentionally refusing to do the work that's set before them. And if you're in that spot where you've been receiving from the Christian community, I just want to say that's, that's how this ecosystem is designed to work. Like that's how God set it up is that we do actually, in fact, receive from each other. If you've ever been one of the people that have um, brought a meal to somebody in need, you know how that feels, right? You're like, man, this person's in need. I can make a meal easily. I'll bring it to them. It feels great to be a blessing to that person, but somehow when we're on the opposite end of that and we're the one receiving the meal, you feel all self-conscious and you feel like, oh, I shouldn't be taking from people. I could probably have, you know, gotten Taco Bell for the fifth time this week and nothing wrong with that, of course, but, you know, you kind of feel, you kind of feel bad. And um, anyways, I think just the reminder is, hey, keep in mind, we're here to bless and serve each other. And when you're in need, you're in need. And that's what the church family is for. I think this is just calling us to a different kind of a Uh, way of living overall also just want to say because we don't say it very often we have a family assistance fund here and many of you have benefited from that times that you've lost jobs um had had like you know just big financial things come up um it's church people creekside people investing money into a fund so that when creekside people need help um that money's there and so i just want to say like if you um ever find yourself in need please like let let me know talk to us we want to help that's literally what it's all there for so okay all of that, all of that. Um, there's the big picture. Here's how Paul then closes off the book of Thessalonians. He says, Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, in every way. The Lord be with you all. Man, what a beautiful way to end this. The Lord of peace. So, like, he, he, is, he is Lord, he is ruler, he is, like, our Messiah, like, all this. But he here chooses to call him the Lord of peace, which is such a beautiful picture For this community that's hurting and they're suffering. He is the Lord of peace. And he's praying, would this Lord of peace give you peace? So his peace, give it to us when? At all times. How? In every way. I just love that picture. May the Lord of peace, give you peace at all times, in every way. He just wants this community flooded with peace. He prays that the Lord would be with you all. He prays for the presence of the Lord to be all around them here he signs it himself. It seems like Paul's been dictating to someone else who's been writing it down, probably with better handwriting. And then Paul, he, he had warned earlier in Second Thessalonians about a, a letter that seemed to be from us, so it seems like Paul then takes the pen, and he himself is writing, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It's the way I write. So he's making sure they know it's from him. And then he ends, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Love that he ends. I want to give you peace, and I want to give you grace. They both come from the Lord, and I want this to saturate and, and um, characterize your community together. See, I think this is so beautiful. I, I just step back from, from this and just say, we chose a while back that we wanted to go through 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and there were things about it. Um, it's the tone that pa- Paul speaks in throughout. He has this pastoral heart. I love that he talks about being a nursing mother among them. Um, a persistent father among them, This, this family feel, this, this generosity and this grace, and the way he talks about, when we came to you, we spoke the word of God, and you just absorbed it, like you, you, you changed, and there was a zeal that you had, and this word, the, the word of God is like spread forth from you, we love that, and I'll just have to say, over the last few months, as we've been walking through these letters, I had no idea how big of an impact these letters would have on me, and, and talking to, to different ones of you, it feels like these letters have had a big impact on us, I love that Paul Ends it by looking outward. So there's there's big there's heart touching things. Um, there's end times things, and then he just ends it by looking outward and saying the way that we work in our community and with each other, like this is this is where it plays out. It's a reminder that it's not just about what happens here in my heart. It's also like how that flows out to the people around us to be a community of love together. And um, so I want us to to continue to to worship together. I'm going to invite the band back up. We're going to keep. Um, worshiping together. From here, we're, we're done with Thessalonians. So what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going um, to give you a, a taste of um, a few different things. Um, we're going to get to hear from uh, George Walker, who's one of our—he's um, a, he's a missionary. He spent his life doing mission stuff, and he's going to share with us. We're going to talk about a couple of topics that we feel like are really important, and then um, in the fall, we're going to jump into Ecclesiastes, which has a lot of the same themes, and I'm really excited to dive into that with you. But let's—we're um, going to worship. Let me pray for us as we prepare our hearts for that. Lord, thank you so much for the way that you have been so faithful to speak to us during this time. And I, I definitely mean the truths of your word that you've brought out for us. But also, Lord, I, I just feel like you've made, taken this message and made it personal to us um, over the last few months. Thank you for your Father's heart that welcomes us in. Thank you for your um, desire to bless us and, and um, transform us and to, to use us to be a blessing to the world around us. Um, I pray that we would work hard. I pray that we'd see the work that you set before us as something that matters, that there's value in. I pray that we would um, be a blessing in in big and small ways in in what we create and how we create it in in the people that we interact with. Um, Lord, this church family is such a gift and and a beautiful space and place and family for me. And I pray that you would just continue to move and work in our midst. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.